Hello, loyal listeners, and welcome to the Getting Dizzy podcast. I'm your host, Derek Zardis, and thank you for finding your way to my little den of verbal inequity. Uh, Today, we're going to have our normal helping of four great books that I highly recommend, and then I'll be talking a little bit about the coaching program that I'm going through, and we're going to discuss a concept called anti-fragility. So for those of you who've been listening loyally since the very first podcast, I have recently hit 100 downloads, so I'm quite excited about that. And there's about two dozen of you out there who've made the effort to come and then come again. So thank you for being loyal listeners. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much for finding me here. I now have... Uh, salespeople who are finding me to tell me what is wrong with my podcast, but I don't really care about the salespeople. I really care about you. If you are here to listen to the podcast and you have some comment or you'd like to tell me a little bit about what you thought uh, about the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm available on Facebook, you can find me, Derek Zardis, there. I'm the only Derek Zardis in the world. And you can also find a page for the Getting Dizzy podcast, just as it's uh, spelled on my on my podcast advertisement page there. So I hope to hear from you soon. With that in mind, I think I'm going to jump right into the book recommendations this week. The first book is going to be a book for people who truly love to read truly love to have a book in their hand and just devour the book word for word as quickly as possible like some sort of literary glutton. I know that many times in my life I have felt like that. And as a kid, I just couldn't read books fast enough or enough. Uh, If you ask my family whether I was driving in the car or sitting on the toilet or finding some secret place in the house so I wouldn't be bothered with chores, I was probably reading a book. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that uh, any of my teachers who have survived probably have memories of coming around the room and seeing me reading a book under the desk and them expecting it to be something horrible like a Playboy or something that they were catching me, but instead finding me with something like the Red Badge of Courage Uh, years before I was supposed to be reading that. So I love reading. And the book that I'm going to recommend to you right off the bat is How to Read Better and Faster by Norman Lewis. Now, this is a dated book. I think this book came out sometime in 1958. And so the material that's in the book is dated. But the lessons and the... um, procedures that he teaches for reading better uh, are as necessary today as they were back in 1958. I will admit that I read this book sometime in the late 80s, so this was before I was reading a massive amount on the internet or, or on my phone, and I don't necessarily know how well it translates electronically, but I know that if you are reading books or if you're reading papers and or booklets or magazines of one sort or another, that this book will be able to help you. It'll talk about your focus. It'll talk about your ability to maintain connection to the material. And then it goes through something along the lines of 30 lessons, if I remember correctly. Uh, 
remember correctly, that walks you through your reading prowess and your words per minute will increase. And what's most important is this is not like Evelyn Wood's speed reading, where speed reading, comparatively speaking, is a bit questionable, where you start trying to develop a photographic memory or where you're reading the entire page at one go. This is really just maximizing your standard reading. Most people read somewhere between 200 to 250 words per minute. Um, for some people, it's a little bit higher in the 300s. And I think that if you go through this procedure, you can be reading upwards of 400 words per minute and retaining the words that you're reading. So if you need to read a lot for work, if you're going back to school, I highly recommend Norman Lewis's How to Read uh, Faster and Better. Highly recommended. The second book that I am going to talk about is a book that I went back and read this past week um, because of the work that I'm doing and the program that I'm in that is having me focus on my needs and the things that I need to improve. And the book that I'm going to recommend is Indistractable by Nir Eyal. So Indistractable by Nir Eyal. So this is a book about dealing with distractions, but really when I'm talking about distractions, for me, I'm talking about my addictions and specifically um, my addictions for food. I have been trying to change my habits uh, since the beginning of the year. And to be honest, I have not been doing well with it and it's frustrating and I am dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I remember reading this book and remember the tools that are in it, and I highly recommend it for that reason. So one of the things that they talk about is that distraction is preceded by a period of discomfort. Um, for those of you who are addicted to your phones, the urge to check your phone is preceded by a period of boredom. Um, the pressure to say yes in a meeting uh, or to a meeting request is preceded by a period of anxiety because rejecting the request is, is taboo. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if you're at work and somebody sends you a meeting request, you tend to take it even though it's maybe not the best meeting for you, not the most productive use of your time. Um, but we worry about how we'll be perceived by the team if we say no to a meeting. Uh, or in my instance, the urge to overindulge or overeat is preceded by a period of stress so uh, or boredom. So when you feel boredom, anxiety, or stress, our mind craves distraction. And one of the distractions for me during this time has been to eat food because it makes me feel more comfortable. So this book, in talking about distractions, really urges you to build up the resistance to discomfort. And he has a number of visual tools, visual um, uh, visualizations. That's really great. So he has a number of visualizations to help you get through this that have been scientifically proven. Um, many of them were tested on cigarette smokers, um, but they 
work just as much for anything that you might be addicted to. Um, one of the key visualizations is surfing your urge. So if you have that urge to look at your phone, if you have that urge to start eating potato chips, um, to identify that discomfort and, and kind of ride it, knowing that statistically and scientifically, they've proven that these urges usually last less than 10 minutes. So if you can ride that urge for 10 minutes, uh, then you will probably get over that hurdle. Um, the, the tool that I specifically remembered and I wanted to go back and read a bit more about is this concept of the gently flowing stream. So in this, you imagine leaves are floating down a stream. When you feel discomfort, imagine taking the discomfort out of your body uh, and placing it on one of those leaves and watching it slowly float down the stream out of sight and try and visually and physically kind of put yourself in that moment, imagining your urge just drifting on down the river. Uh, when another wave of discomfort builds up, place it on another leaf and watch it float down the stream. You do this over and over again until you are no longer thinking about it or you feel like you're in control. And statistically, that shouldn't be much more than 10 minutes. So in any case, the book is filled with some really great stories. This is somebody who truly understands the uh, the darker inner workings <laughs> of the mind a little bit and how to play chess uh, against yourself in some ways. And so I highly recommend this book, Indistractable by Nir Eyal. Uh, the next book, that I'm going to recommend, uh, especially for some of my friends who are struggling at the moment because of their jobs. Uh, some people have lost jobs. Some people are just unhappy with the amount of work that's being piled on them uh, when they are at home and having to deal with home life as well as work life. And so I'm going to encourage you, if uh, you haven't already heard me do this, to consider either starting your own business or starting a side business. Now, I'm a big fan of starting a business on the side. Keep working if you can, but then try and start a business on the side. And a great book to inspire you, hopefully towards something like this, is Rework. Rework by Jason Freed. So Jason is uh, one of the founders of the software company Basecamp. And so over the past 20 years, as he's worked with different businesses and different uh, business development and program development, um, he has seen some, some repeating patterns. And so the pattern that he recommends if you are thinking about starting a business is to solve a problem. So if there is some kind of problem that you're dealing with either at work or home or in your life, start with the problem and then seeing if you can solve that problem in some unique way or even in a way that is not so unique. But then the second thing is, is you try and solve the problem with less, either with less time, with less money, with some tool that makes it easier to deal with the problem. So you solve your problem with less 
and then you pick a fight. And so after you have something that solves somebody's problem for less, either with less time or with money, then you look at the larger player on the market and you pick a fight with them and you become the anti that business so that immediately people can recognize who you are. So for example, if you were starting a coffee shop because you love coffee and you were to label yourself as the anti-Starbucks, right? Maybe your business would be just coffee. You know, you could say, screw your lattes and screw your uh, espressos and cappuccinos. We are just great coffee and that's all you're gonna get here. And to be honest, I've, I've seen businesses like that. I've seen businesses like that in Portland, Maine, uh, where you walked in and the menu is super simple. There is three different types of coffee and it's just coffee. This is clearly not Starbucks. And in fact, compared to the savvy design ethics, uh, aesthetic, pardon me, the fancy design aesthetic of Starbucks, um, this was very raw. I remember walking in and seeing wood everywhere, wood and kind of chemistry sets and breaking down coffee into its base form. They had three different types of brews of coffee, but it was still all coffee. Uh, and they did have sugar and milk that you could add, but for the most part, they were clearly not this customized, anything's possible with a coffee bean sort of aspect that Starbucks has. This is, we're keeping it simple, just great coffee. Um, so you, this book talks about the idea of solving your problem with less and then picking a fight uh, there's some great stories in here, and I highly recommend it. It is Rework by Jason Fried. The final book I'm going to recommend today is quite inspirational on a number of different levels. It's coming from somebody who I think of as an athlete, and many people will think of as a veteran and a hero, and that is David Goggins. His classic work at this point, Can't Hurt Me, by David Goggins. For those of you who tune into his podcast, for those of you who've watched his videos or gone through his trainings, it is uh, he is incredibly inspirational. Uh, and I highly recommend, if you haven't had the chance, to read his book. Number one, you're gonna get tons more information about him that you may not get on the daily podcast or, or the summations that he gives giving you a little bit more of his background and where he's coming from and what he's gone through. And then on top of that, he's got some great tools mentally for himself of how he achieves this amazing level of uh, success and productivity and grit in his life. And three simple tools that I remember is the idea of callousing your mind. So when he was going for some sort of pull-up world record, he remembers getting calluses on his hands and he immediately took those calluses and started to try and apply that to his brain. So he would try and find something that mentally he felt sucked 
every day so that he would embrace the suck and create calluses on his mind. So the next time that he was sucking at something, he would be sitting there going, that's okay, I, I'm protected from this. Uh, remembering the 40% rule is probably the second thing that the idea that you are, um, you're only ever giving 60%, um, or if you, sorry, I'm trying to remember the 40% rule <laughs> in the way that it was, that anytime you're doing something, you're supposed to tell yourself that you're only for 40% done and then you dig deeper and find your 60% reserve and extract it 5% of the time. Um, instead of giving all all 40%, all 60% at that time, you're just trying to dig that extra 5% out. And then after you've done that, then you dig another 5% out. Uh, and last but not least, uh, talking about what, the reason I went back and reviewed this this week was because last week, if you were listening to the podcast during the coaching section, I talked about creating a memory power bar. And quite frankly, this is essentially the same thing that he does. He calls it dipping into the cookie jar. So for him, he thinks about some of the successes that he has and the way that those successes made him feel. And he envisions those successes in their entirety as to what they did for him at that time, what they did for him building himself up, what they did for his positive effects altogether, and he creates a cookie. And so when things are tough, when he's sitting there going, this sucks, this is not worth it, I don't know why I'm doing this, when he has doubt and fear and annoyance, he reaches into his cookie jar and he pulls out one of those other tough situations where he has been successful before and he chews on that and he goes, yeah, I remember that success. I remember those good feelings. I remember how I felt after I finished that. I remember being stronger after I went through that ordeal and thus he has that cookie jar. So this is really a, a seminal work for working out your brain as well as work in order to work out your body. And that is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Highly recommend. So that is the four books for today. So if you're just here for the books, sayonara suckers, uh, because now I'm gonna be jumping into the coaching section. So this week, aside from wrapping up the heroic, um, tool chest uh, of last week, a, a big focus was on the, the idea of developing anti-fragility. Now, if you think of a box of glasses that are being sent through Amazon, chances are you've seen the fragile red tape on the side that says, hey, this is breakable. And, um, I think all of us over the past year have felt at times that we are fragile, if not even super fragile, with all of the stressors that have been going on in our lives, whether it is just the changes to our work or to our daily lives, whether it's the restrictions that we've placed upon the time that we spend with our loved ones, 
um, whether it's the stress of changing of jobs or changing the way you do your job or your business, maybe reductions in your earnings, whether your company slashed your salary, uh, as some businesses had done, or whether you've been laid off or let go or asked to go on vacation without pay for a couple weeks. Um, there has been enough to keep us rattled and, and fragile. And this week, we really kind of focused on the different stages of fragility and super fragility when you're really on the edge and just at on the last straw uh, to fragile to robust, which is strong. You, if you think of yourself, okay, I've had a lot of things going on, but I'm strong and I can, I can handle this. But, you know, this is a... 2020 was a year where the, the weight just kept piling on. So as strong as you think yourself, um, there was probably a point where you were starting to feel sore, if not crushed in some areas. So uh, something that I like to think of myself as, uh, in my best self, is resilient. And the idea of resilience is that you are strong and flexible, that um, the typical phrase is that if you get knocked down seven times, you get back up eight. And, um, but the idea of anti-fragility uh, is even beyond that, that not only are you strong, not only are you resilient and you're able to um, take a hit and keep going, but the idea of anti-fragility is that you are going to take a hit and the hit itself is going to make you stronger. Now, at first, I, I just thought this was a bunch of woo. I thought this was just pure uh, positive psychology and that when we were talking about this, that this was a concept that was only in the mind. But as it turns out, anti-fragility also has engineering concepts. Uh, and in fact, the concept of the Hulk came from some physical states of anti-fragility that can be measured mathematically. Um, for those of you who are not uh, who are not superhero fans or comic book fans, the Hulk is the big green guy who's usually walking around uh, shirtless with torn purple pants because he goes from a minuscule, weak man, uh, smart scientist to this massively muscled, powerful creature. And one of the things that you may not know about the Hulk, even if you're familiar with that big green image, is that the more that the Hulk gets hurt, the stronger he gets. So as somebody shoots bullets at him, his skin becomes tougher. If you launch a missile at him, he actually gets stronger. So he is the superhero equivalent of anti-fragility. But this is not just a fantasy. This is not just a psychological concept. This is a mathematical concept that has been proven time and time again in uh, physics, in engineering, in mathematics, and 
the idea that we as humans are quite often just reacting to stimulus, the thing that elevates us as human beings is the fact that we actually have two things that we can change about that equation, the idea of there being a stimulus and a response. Firstly, there is actually a moment between the stimulus and response where we can make a choice. And although right now we may not be able to do that, we can actually train ourselves to take that pause and to take that moment before we make the choice. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the stimulus and response starts with our beliefs. So for if we are already in a heightened state, if we're angry, if we're fearful, if we're negative, and all of a sudden we are stimulated, then that, that response is going to be directly correlated to our beliefs. But if our beliefs are positive, if they are happy, if they are joyous, if they are accepting that life is a challenge and that we are ready for that challenge, then the response to the stimulus can be very different indeed, even if it's automatic. So this week, as we've been discussing that anti-fragility, uh, I've been trying to see where I can change that moment uh, in between the stimulus and response. I think for the most part that I have the, the good priming in many instances to set my day up for success, that I, I start my day energized, I start my day positive, that I have the ability to overcome the challenges in my life. But quite often, the underlying doubts and fears that I have uh, end up being the automatic response to the stimulus. So now, as part of my priming, my priming is trying to slow me down and sit there and say, okay, so I may be confident about this, but I actively have to take that moment to make those choices that are better for me and mine. And that is part of building up an anti-fragile mindset and uh, is certainly something that I'm looking forward to exploring a lot more in the weeks that come. So that's my take today on anti-fragility. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the books. I hope you enjoyed talking about a little bit about what I'm going through on my coaching journey. And I hope to see you back next week. Thanks a lot and have a fantastic week.